by that little corner there. There's some uh, New Testaments. Go grab one if you need it. Turn to John chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 4, Mark chapter 11. Did you get all that? Well, you'll catch up in a minute. Let's start with John chapter 2. Actually, let's stand together. Why don't you greet somebody next to you as you stand? And as you're turning to John 2, just say hello to somebody. All right, stay standing. Stay standing. John chapter 2. We are in a series called Fresh Encounters with Jesus. Stay standing. John chapter 2. We're in a series called Fresh Encounters with Jesus. We're looking at various aspects of the Gospels. Today we see an angry Jesus. John chapter 2. Beginning at verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords, He drove them out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and He poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables and He told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's Psalm 69. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. Now turn to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 15. As they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple, he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. Some believe this is a second account because it's later in his ministry. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He would not allow anyone to carry anything throughout the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? Isaiah 56, 7. But you have made it a den of robbers. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give the, no opportunity for the devil. Paul is quoting from Psalm 4, verse 4. I believe there's hidden manna in God's Word. And when you go to the passage that one quotes, sometimes they leave something out so that... It'll, it'll test to see if you really want to go after the hidden manna and get the little secret nugget. And if you go to Psalm 4, 4, you'll get that secret nugget, which we'll talk about later. Psalm 4, verse 4. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. Let's pray. God, you know that this is a difficult topic. And I'm going to really need your grace today to treat it with truth and grace. So I ask for your Holy Spirit anointing now. Lord, let me not share anything that is out of your will and that is out of your word. May you raise up from this body a group 
of followers of Jesus who have proper self-control, but also proper boldness when needed. So fill us with truth and grace so that we are like Jesus in all of our actions and even our attitudes and our thoughts. So we pray now that you would anoint this time in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. On the back of your bulletin are the notes if you want to use those. About two years ago, I wrote a book called God Does What? And in this book, I address some of the attributes of God and emotions of God that are less familiar to people, such as the laughing God, the singing God, the grieving God. Well, today we see an angry God. Picturing Jesus as angry is something people are not comfortable with, because often the only anger we have seen has been someone full of rage and destruction that maybe abused them or brought destruction to the home. But the Bible actually tells us to be angry, but not to sin. That is a tough command. We're going to look at four things in this message today. We're going to look at the passage itself and explain Jesus' anger in the temple. We're going to look at God's anger more universally in the Old Testament. Then we're going to go to our anger, how often our anger is not righteous. And by the way, this message is not permission for you to be a grumbling Christian. <laughs> All right? You are not to leave this message thinking, oh, I got permission now to just grumble, complain, and get all irritated and angry over all the sin of our country. And then you're hard to be around. Let me remind you, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control. <laughs> so this is a tough equation to unpack what is righteous anger and what is unrighteous anger. And then we're going to end with the Gospel. Because the passage in John 2 ends with Jesus referring to the resurrection. So in this passage, we have the Jews coming to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. What an amazing celebration. When God sent the Passover lamb to put the blood over the doorpost, to spare the people from the angel of death, deliver them out of slavery. It is the gospel. It is the gospel. It is the gospel. Corinthians says Jesus is the Passover lamb sacrificed for us. His blood shed on the cross that we not have the angel of death come to us. And judgment come to us, for it went to Him at the cross for us. So they're celebrating this amazing thing called the Passover. People are coming from all over. Many have traveled miles upon miles. And when you come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, the first thing you have to do is exchange money. I'm flying to Uganda two weeks from tomorrow. And we'll have to exchange money in Uganda because that's the currency there. Same here. You had to have Jerusalem currency to pay the temple tax and to buy a sacrifice if you didn't bring one with you. Most couldn't if they had traveled a long distance because you don't come with those animals. You know you can buy an animal at the temple, offer that as a sacrifice. So two things are going on here. This is why Jesus is what of Sosby, as we were talking about this this week, he says Jesus is double mad. He's double mad. He's mad because the money changers were charging too much. It'd be like if you go to a football game and they charge you $5 for a Coke. You know, you kind of you know what this feels like. But anyway, they were charging too much for, to exchange the money. They were profiting from that. And then they were, they were those that were selling the sacrifices at an exorbitant rate. They're making a profit in the house of the Lord. And that's not sitting well with Jesus. Now, anger is due to block goals. Remember that. Write that down. Anger is due to block goals. Larry Crabb 
talks about this. He says, anger is the, the light on the dashboard of your heart like a car. Lift up the hood. Something needs attention. It's warning you. It's a secondary emotion. It's not the issue you, itself you need to focus on. You need to focus on why are you angry? A goal is being blocked. Most of our anger is selfish anger. We're not treated the way we think we should be treated. We're not getting what we want. <clears throat> We're mad. And that's unrighteous anger. Jesus' anger here was righteous. He never sinned. What was the goal being blocked? The temple being used for worship. It being a place of prayer for all nations, for all people. The poor especially were being abused here because it talks about the, the sacrifice of a dove. That would what a poor person would, would be able to sacrifice because they couldn't afford a, a more expensive animal. So he's mad because people are financially profiting in the house of the Lord. And he's mad because people are being inhibited from experiencing God. The temple is to be the place of God's presence. The place in which people meet with God. And it was even open to the Gentiles. This probably happened in the court of the Gentiles. So the people of all nations. Why do we have that map on the wall? To remind us all people. Jesus died for all people. He wants all the nations to come and worship Him. We are commanded to go into all the world with the gospel of Jesus. And this is being inhibited by those who were abusing this place of connection with God. That's what's going on. So he took out a whip of cords. Drove them out. Verse 15. He was in total control of his emotions. He was not this person who's flying off the handle and out of control like maybe you experienced with a raging alcoholic father or grandfather or somebody who abused you. That's not what we have here. We have a Jesus who's in total control of his emotions, but because he had zeal, passion for the house of the Lord, his passion for God led to a passion of upsetness because people are being inhibited from connecting with God. And, take note, he took out his anger on physical objects, not on people. Had Jesus started whooping up on people, hitting people, getting violent against people, he would have sinned. He did not sin. He took out his anger on the tables. Why? I think it was to make a statement. Sometimes when people are in sin, when people are in rebellion, and they're not facing their wickedness, sometimes they need to kind of be, I don't want to say shaken into reality, because some of you could mistake that, but sometimes you, you need to do something kind of drastic to, to try to awaken them. Why do families do these things called interventions with the alcoholic? When they all gather together and say, Dad, your alcoholism needs to stop now. You need treatment now. You're abusing mom. You're not doing your share to provide for this family. You've lost your job. And you, and you get all these people around that person to kind of confront them. That's kind of what's going on here. Jesus is making a statement to shake them into seeing the sin of their heart. But it's all driven out of love. His compassionate heart drives this. His passion for the house of the Lord. He's again, he's not some fly off the handle out of control man. He is motivated out of love and a heart to see people connect with God in the way He created them to connect with God. We are created to know God and love God. The number one commandment to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And when that's not happening, Jesus is upset. 
Now let's examine God's broader anger. Because Jesus as God in flesh is simply here showing us an aspect of God's nature that we see throughout His Word. God is angry over sin. He loves the sinner, but He's angry about the sin. Why? Listen closely to this. Anger is a result of a blocked goal, and God's goal is intimacy with us, an abiding relationship with us. And sin hinders that. We see this in Deuteronomy 31.29. You will do evil in the sight of the Lord and provoke Him to anger. Deuteronomy 32, they've made Him jealous with their foreign gods and angered Him with their detestable idols. Proverbs 6, and as I read this, just some things may come to your mind that are happening in our culture. Six things the Lord hates. Seven are detestable to Him. Haughty eyes, that's pride. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. Anything come to your mind there? A heart that devises wicked schemes. Feet that are quick to rush to evil. A false witness who pours out lies. And a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. So what angers God? Sin, the mistreatment of other people, whatever keeps us from a right relationship with Him. So Jesus' anger was consistent with the broader anger of God in the Old Testament. But praise God, He's slow to anger. Aren't you glad for that? He's merciful, gracious. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You know the story of Hosea. I preached that book about three years ago. God commands Hosea to marry a prostitute, telling him in advance she will not be faithful, but he's to be faithful to her to demonstrate the unconditional love of God. Well then, in that book, Israel does repent. And look what it says in Hosea 14.4. Because they repented, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. You see, you're, you're either under the anger of God or the mercy of God. You're either under the anger of God or the mercy of God. And if you're under His anger due to sin and not receiving Jesus, but you repent, you move from being under His anger to being under His grace because that will turn away His anger. That's the good news of the Gospel. Mercy triumphs over judgment if we repent. And if we place ourselves at the mercy of the cross where Jesus bore the judgment of God for us. Now let's move to our anger. Now James 1.20 says that, the, that most of man's anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. That's why I have to treat this so delicately today. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and sin not. James 1.20 says man's anger does not achieve the righteousness of God. So if it's man's anger, it won't achieve the righteousness of God. But if it's godly anger resulting in godly action then it can achieve the righteousness of God. There lies the key. And I believe this message is very timely because I believe we need more angry Christians today. Now by that I mean Christ followers who are angry over the things that anger God and allow that energy, because anger is an emotional energy, drive them to take godly action. Let me repeat that. 
We need more angry Christians today. I did not say Christians that are a bunch of grumblers and complainers, like I said earlier in the message, who just complain about everything, but you don't even want to be around them because they don't exhibit the joy of the Lord. But I mean Christ followers who are angry over the things that anger God and allow that energy to move them to take godly action. Now that can only be done by the power of the Holy Spirit and the counsel of others. That's why we need to be connected to the body. Because on our own, we are a mess and we will probably do things we shouldn't do. C.S. Lewis has an amazing quote about this. <laughs> Christianity is a fighting religion. This is not permission to be violent or any of that, guys. You know that. Christianity, it thinks God made the world. Space, time, heat, cold, all the colors and tastes, and all the animals and vegetables. But it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made. Can you relate? And that God insists, and insists very loudly, on our putting them right again. In other words, we don't just sit back and let sin go rampant God wants things changed. Part of the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we do that? Well, I want to give you some expiring examples from history of what C.S. Lewis is talking about here. William Wilberforce was angry over slavery in England and over many other ungodly things that were happening in his day. I'm reading a book by Eric Metaxas called Seven Men and the Secret of Their Greatness. Many of us know that he wrote the, the biography on Bonhoeffer. Did you know that he also wrote the biography on William Wilberforce? In Wilberforce's day, listen to this, 25% of all single women in London were prostitutes. And the average age was 16. The time in which he lived, 1700s, 25% of the single women were prostitutes. And the average age was 16. So not only was he angry over slavery, he was also angry over things like that. What did he do? His godly anger drove him to work tirelessly to change the laws. And he helped change, and he was an abolitionist, he helped change slavery in England. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a Lutheran pastor who was angry over the evils of Nazism and the Holocaust. And his anger motivated him to speak out against this. It cost him his life. He died three weeks before World War II ended. But many are inspired today by his sacrifice. Martin Luther King Jr. was angry over the Jim Crow laws and the mistreatment of African Americans in this country in the 50s and 60s, and he led the Civil Rights Movement. He would actually train people to respond to violence with nonviolence based on the passage, Do not return evil for evil, for vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. For years, God's people have been grieved and angry over the killing of the unborn. And they have prayed, and they have marched, and they have taken proper legal action. Praise God, we just celebrated the one-year anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade. We should celebrate that. Whenever we talk about abortion, we always say, anybody who's been guilty of that sin, there's mercy and grace and forgiveness at the cross of Jesus. Okay? Jim Caviezel, who played Jesus in the movie The Passion of the Christ, has recently become very angry over sex trafficking. He's used that anger to make a movie that's about to come out called Sounds of Freedom. Pastor John 
Aman Kuwa recently confronted his school board about the ungodly things being presented to children regarding sexuality and identity. You need to watch that video. I also posted on Facebook this week a grandfather confronting his school board. Now a final example is that I know several who have gotten properly angry over their own sin and addiction. And the realization of the harm it was bringing to their marriage and their family, and so they use that anger to motivate themselves to submit to God, fully resist the devil, and fight for victory over that area of their life. So let me give you some practical suggestions for handling anger. And to be angry but sin not. Number one, pray. First, you take it to God. From the beginning, you resist the flesh. And you make sure you're in the Spirit. You maybe pour out your heart to God. Express your anger to God in prayer. Praise God. We can be honest with God in prayer. We see that all over the Psalms. But the first thing you do that can help you avoid sinning in your anger is pray. Go to the Lord. Because if you stay in your flesh, it probably ain't going to turn out very good. <laughs> Number two is ex allow the Lord to examine your heart. Heart examination. This is the little nugget, the hidden manna, where Ephesians 4, be angry but sin not, quotes Psalm 4.4, and the rest of Psalm 4.4 is when you are angry, go lie on your bed and be silent. There's the nugget. You need to withdraw from the situation. You need to get alone with God. And you need to say, God, search my heart and show me the goal that's being blocked and where I might have pride and where I might have selfishness in the equation. And then you repent. You see? Then you repent because you allow God to search your heart because most of our anger is not godly. <laughs> Lift up the hood of your heart. Let the Holy Spirit shine light. And I'm telling you, that's when repentance is a beautiful thing. You don't just repent to get saved. We repent continually as believers. This is the emotion that most men struggle with the most. It's been one of my fatal flaws, is anger. One time I put my fist through a wall. Shouldn't have done that. Should have gone and hit a punching bag or something. That would have been a lot better. Uh, but I've grown, and, and, and the Larry Crabb stuff, and what I'm going to diagram for you in a minute, has been immensely helpful for me personally. So three is you repent and you surrender. This is why Ephesians 4, the rest of the passage, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Deal with it. Deal with it swiftly. Allow the Lord to search your heart. Whatever He shows you, you repent, and you surrender that to Him, and you ask Him to fill you with His Holy Spirit. Number four, proper expression. Whether that's praying to God, whether that's going and going on a walk, going on a run, maybe lifting weights, maybe hitting a punching bag. Some of some anger management psychologists, and this isn't all bad. If a, if, a, if a person has struggled with their anger, maybe they put a punching bag in their basement. And so, boom, as soon as they feel that anger, they go and pound that punching bag. That'd be a lot better than pounding somebody in the home. Hello. <laughs> Jesus overturned tables again, and he didn't sin. He took his anger out on physical objects, not on people. So there can be, you, you have to find the way that helps you express your anger the best. And by the way, I believe our love language sometimes matches our anger language. You have the love language of um, physical touch, then you're probably more prone to do something physical, unhealthy with your anger if you're in sin. You have the love language of words of affirmation. Probably in your anger, you're going to have a tendency to lash out at people and speak ill and you know, get, get nasty with your tongue. You have the love language of um, quality time, in your anger, you probably are going to withdraw, not give anybody any time, you see? 
So knowing your love language can help you with your anger language to help you avoid sinning in your anger. Number five, forgive. Because most anger is due to somebody not treating you the way you think you should be treated, so you need to make sure you're forgiving that person from the heart. And this is why the remainder, again, of Ephesians 4, right after be angry but sin not, don't let the sun go down in your anger, about three verses later, forgive as the Lord forgives you. That's not an accident. And then six, take spirit-led action. This would relate to some of the examples I gave of, of those people in our history that took spirit-led action. Maybe it's getting involved in public service. Maybe it's that energy driving you to uh, spiritual warfare prayer for that situation that makes you angry. But it's taking spirit-led action, and that is where you'll need the counsel of others. So let me give you a diagram that I kind of walk through in my own heart when I am dealing with this in my own life. Um, Again, anger is due to a blocked goal. So at the point at which you are angry, you need to, first of all, is it an ungodly goal or is it a godly goal? If it's an ungodly goal that's being blocked, it might be something that you want that you're not getting when you want it. You you repent. You repent of that and turn it into a godly goal. I have shared this example before, but it illustrates this really well. Um, It's very simple. I wish they were all this easy to solve. They're not, but at least it illustrates it. Back in Wisconsin, we had four young children in the home. Dee Dee goes away to a garage sale. I'm at home. I'm gonna have, I have a goal. I'm going to mow the grass and take care of the kids. That's not, a, that's not a realistic goal. Because about ten minutes into this little exercise, I'm getting interrupted by one of my kids, right? And what's happening? I'm getting angry. Because they're blocking my goal to mow the grass. And, I, and as I went through this heart examination thing... I realized my goal was to get to mow the grass in the same amount of time I could mow it in when I didn't have to take care of four kids. That's not very good, is it? That's not a godly goal. I made a conscious choice to change my goal, mow the grass, have fun with the kids. I did. I had to literally say, this is my new goal. So every time I got interrupted, it didn't block my goal because one of my goals was to have fun with the kids. Now, did I get the grass mowed? Of course not. (laughs) But I sure solved the anger problem. I was a lot happier to come home to, right, honey? (laughs) All right. Now, once you have a godly goal, the way to be angry and sin not is to make sure your action, you can take an ungodly action, or, and that would be, okay, your your goal to, to help the unborn, godly goal, right? You're angry over abortion. If you go bomb an abortion clinic, you just sinned. Your anger may have been righteous at this level, but at this level you just sinned because you didn't take a godly action. Jesus, again, did not sin in His anger because He overturned tables and didn't hit people. And so the key, the, the, the final part of this, how to be angry and sin not, is to also have a godly... Or, or, I put st- strategy, I meant. Action. So if you recognize you have an ungodly action, you can repent of that. You know, I'm angry over this part of our culture that's going on today. 
And man, I'm just so frustrated and I'm, I just hate those people on that side of the equation, whatever the issue is. And you're just irritable to be around. You're, again, your goal might be godly, but now you've gone into an ungodly action of allowing it to make you bitter, to make you unpleasant to be around, and you're about to maybe just lash out at people or post things on social media that are not constructive. Come on, I know none of us have ever done that. So you repent of that and you ask God's Holy Spirit to give you direction to have a godly action and that's how you can be angry but sin not. Hope that's helpful. Two more passages um, that play into this. Turn to Romans chapter 12 and then we'll get ready for some Q&A after we cover the gospel. Romans chapter 12. Very relevant. Verse 17. Romans 12, 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do you see that? Give thought. That's the lying on your beds and being silent. That's the self-examination, heart examination. Going before the Lord. Yielding things to God. Give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Whoa. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. Now go to 1 Peter chapter 2. We see how Jesus responded when he was mistreated. When he was persecuted, beaten, flogged. 1 Peter 2.22 He committed no sin. Hallelujah. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. So Jesus just kept entrusting himself to God. You're mistreated. You're not treated the way you want. You get angry. God, I just entrust this to you. I yield to you. I ask you to meet my deepest needs. Somebody's not treating you the way you think you should be treated in the home or at work or somewhere else. You have to keep entrusting yourself to God, yielding those ungodly goals to God, changing them to godly goals. God, now my goal is to be a mature, abiding Christian. Whoa! <laughs> So something difficult happens, my goal is to abide in Jesus and to grow in maturity. Wow. That'll shift things. Alright, so let's finish with the Gospel. Back to our passage in John 2. I believe it was providential of God and the Holy Spirit inspiring it that right after this incident in the temple, it says in verses 18 and 19, the Jews then responded to Him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I'll raise it again in three days. How cool that right after this incident of Jesus being righteously angry in the temple, John speaks of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's not an accident. Because, listen closely, the cross of Jesus is where we see the fullness of God's nature on display. Jesus is saying, I'm the hot spot of God's presence. You thought it was a temple? It's actually me. <laughs> and that is most fully seen at the glorious cross where Jesus took the full hit of God's anger. Whoa. Some people struggle with the violence of the cross, with the brutality of the cross. Well, let me give you an angle on that. 
It's because the full expression and vent of God's wrath and anger was being poured out on His Son. Some people say, why did, why did, why did redemption have to be so brutal, so bloody, so violent? God could have done it another way, couldn't He? Yes, He could have. Perhaps He did it this way to show that it was the full expression and vent of His anger and wrath that was put upon His Son for you and me that we not have to face it. And that's why our, our diagram of God's nature is, is so ideal for this that His holiness, which, which includes His judgment, His righteousness, His wrath, His anger, His jealousy, and His love perfectly kiss at the cross. His justice. He had to punish sin. He expressed His full wrath upon sin, but His love was expressed simultaneous because it happened best at the cross of His Son, Jesus. This is why Romans 5 includes both His love and His wrath. God demonstrates His own love right side of that diagram. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we've now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath? Left side of the diagram. Through Him. It's the power of the Gospel, beloved. So today I ask you, are you under His wrath? Or are you under His mercy? If you're outside of Christ, if you've not received Christ, if you've not repented and yielded your life to God, and put your faith and trust in Christ alone, then you are under His wrath. That's what the rest of John 3, we love, God so loved the world, He gave His only Son. But if you keep reading in John 3, it says, and if you don't believe, you are under His judgment. But if you have repented of your sins, placed your faith in Christ alone, the Bible says you're under His mercy. Because mercy triumphs over judgment when your life is in Christ. Amen and amen. All right, let's take some questions. You can raise your hand, a mic will be brought to you, or you can text those in. Absolutely want to make sure there's been no mistake, no miscommunication today, no misunderstanding, because this is such a delicate topic. Brooks? So let's say that we do have a godly goal. Um, how do we know when we are ready to act? Because even if we, like you gave the example, like if you have a godly goal, we could still act in an ungodly way. What, what is like a marker that shows that we're ready? I think, good question. I think two things. Number one, making sure, first of all, that our heart is right, that our motives are right. And then second, I think it's just being led by the Holy Spirit and under the counsel of the body. So um, maybe somebody is angry over something in, in the city they live in. And um, first, make, I really think first is making sure their heart is pure before the Lord, that, they, that God has given them a supernatural love for those people that they disagree with, that maybe they just want to do this in the flesh, but they're going to say, Lord, give me self-control, give me your supernatural love, help me see them the way they do, help me see that they're only acting this way because they're not right with you. We've talked about that a lot here lately, about compassion for lost people, realizing that it's the heart, it's their heart that needs to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We can't expect an unbeliever to act like a believer. So then, so once that's done, and that's process, then I think it's, Lord, is there something I could do here? One of our prayer stations today is going to be listening. If you want to just go and just 
be in the presence of God and listen to the Lord showing you maybe something you are to take action on or something that He wants to put on your heart. And then I think, I think within that is the counsel of others. You know, just, man, guys, I'm, I'm kind of feeling like the Lord's leading me to, to run for the school board, let's say, or something like that, or to write this letter. Um, and they, yeah, I, I, I bear witness with that. Hey, can I bounce that? Can, can, can I share the letter with some people? You know, do you feel like this is in love? I've written three letters in the last two weeks about various issues. And it's good to have those kind of screen them through some godly people. And I think this line right here, that's a little harsh. I don't know that that's really in love. I don't think that's going to be received really well. Great question. Thank you. Well, I don't really have a question, but something to add. Um, an ungodly act that most people don't really think about is venting, not venting to the Lord or venting your, to your pastor or someone or a therapist, venting to yourself, venting to your friends. It doesn't solve nothing. It actually makes you even more angry. And when someone is agreeing with your anger, it actually makes it worse. So it makes it like your ungodly anger is validated because somebody you're talking to is, does not have the gift of wisdom. So they just, yeah, like, oh, you can be angry because you have every right to be angry and it's not a re good reason why you're angry. It's a good word. I will add one caveat. I'm not disagreeing with you. I do believe venting to God can be a way in which we repent. I found this helpful in my own life that I have found the freedom because of the Psalms to be totally honest with God. He knows everything anyway. That I can be totally kind of catharsis with God, get my frustrations out, as long as I am willing to see where there's sin in there and then repent of it. So sometimes it's been helpful for me to kind of just have it out with the Lord. God, I, maybe some of you are angry with God over some things that have happened in your life. And it can be healthy to, probably with someone that you trust, but venting that to the Lord, getting that out, but then saying, God, heal my heart, heal, heal my heart that's hurting. And God, I realize sometimes in venting like that to the Lord, you realize, I understand you're not that way. I feel like you betrayed me but your word says you'll never leave me nor forsake me. So I choose to trust you even though I feel this. And so sometimes that's a process in prayer, being totally honest with God. If Jesus was always in control of his anger, how is overturning tables and throwing coins around not a sin? I think I addressed that in the message, that it's, it wasn't a sin because he didn't physically hurt people. He was, he was making a strong statement to awaken their conscience. Back here, is there anybody? Yes. Hey, Pastor, good morning. Uh, I, was, I know you've been talking about pride on Facebook and through some of your sermons and through some of your messages, I want to know what was the first instance of pride recorded in the, in the Bible. Was it when Lucifer set his, wanted to set his throne above the throne that was already established, or was it the fall of man in the Garden of Eden? What was the first recorded? So the first incident of pride in the Bible? Yes. Yeah, it was Lucifer wanting to ascend to the throne of God. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 talks about the fall of Lucifer. And that that's why he was kicked out of heaven and took a third of the angels with him was because he pridefully wanted to ascend to the, pre to the 
to the level of God and wasn't willing to submit to God's authority in his life, which is the root of all sin, right? We don't want God having authority over our lives. We want to run the show. We want to do our thing. That is the root of all sin. Yes. Yes. Um, I have a, like a modern day example, you know, where Jesus, he went into the temple and turned over the money changer tables. Well, I believe there's a library here in Athens or something where they were having uh, inappropriate books about pride to children. And, you know, I don't know how the parents fully acted, but parents did go in and try to remove those books. And that's an example of if you can do that without beating up people and take the books out or something, I don't think you're breaking any laws either. So that's all I got. Okay. All right, this will be the last one because I want to give some time for prayer. David, you made the, the comment that Jesus uh, didn't sin. He overturned the tables, but he didn't hurt anybody. Then physically, start, physically. Pardon me? He didn't physically hurt anyone. He didn't physically hurt anybody. I, I understand that. So then right after that, you mentioned the guy that bombed the abortion clinic. So what if the guy from the abortion clinic says, well, I didn't hurt anybody. There wasn't any, anybody in there. I just blew up the clinic. Yeah, but you broke the law. Well, I'm sure there was. A, the reason I say that, I'm just not sure that's a. I'm sure Jesus broke some law, and the Pharisees were mad at him, but they couldn't do anything about it. So, I, so are you are you are you recommending we go bomb abortion clinics? I'll put no, you on I'm the just spot. I'm wondering if uh, help me understand what you meant when you said Jesus. You know, he didn't sin because he didn't hurt anybody. Because other people could do rotten things, and they say, "I didn't hurt anybody. I just blew up a building." Yeah, I, I just, I don't buy that. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I can't come up right now with a, other than it breaks the law, it destroys property, you're probably going to get arrested, and that's not going to help anything. No, no, you know, I, I think I think breaking unjust laws, like what King did, those are, that's right. You, 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 they chose to, to, to go and sit in the, the diner where blacks were not allowed, you know, that, I think that was proper. It brought, it brought that unjust treatment of people to the forefront. And I would just say with, with abortion, there's much better ways to accomplish bringing the attention of the life of the unborn than to bomb a clinic. I think here would be my answer. You're going to do more harm than good. You're not going to be making a positive statement for the cause of the unborn. It's better to, to, to tell people, believe the science. Don't we, aren't we supposed to follow the science? Look what the science shows. A heartbeat at 21 days, blood vessels, DNA, and on and on and on. Show them the ultrasounds. That's far more effective. I'm certainly not on the side of the guy that bombs the abortion clinic. I'm just trying to see if there's a better way to say that so somebody couldn't use that as an argument. Yeah, thank you. All right. I'm sorry? It's got to be spirit-led. Amen. All right, guys, well, you know I always welcome feedback. Keep the dialogue going. We're out of time, but you can text me, email me. I hope some of this is discussed over the lunch tables out there today. It'd be cool to let that be some of your discussion points today. I realize that, that, that I've opened a can of worms, and I've not been able to put all the worms back in the can. And, and, uh, but, but, but welcome to Christian maturity, right? Uh, I hope it's given you some stuff to wrestle with, and we're in this together. So here's, how I wanna, here's where I want to go now, is uh, we want to allow some about five, seven minutes or so for prayer. This station here called Listening is if
if um, you just need to maybe sit before the Lord and say, God, is there something I, need? I should be angry about? Or maybe it's something you are angry about, but you need to just hear from God about what's the next step you take. Over there is a banner called Salvation. And if some of our prayer people that are assigned to that banner would go now, if you need to get saved today, you realize, you recognize today you're under His wrath, not under His grace. Okay? You better not leave here not being sure that you're right, rightly related to God through Jesus Christ and that you're saved. So if you need to talk to somebody or pray with somebody to, to get saved, that, that's the prayer station there. The rest of our prayer team, I'd like to be over here. So this is for just you to get prayer for anything that you need prayer for. Okay, so prayer team, if you would go begin to take your spots. Most of the prayer team is going to be here if you need prayer for something. The salvation station, the listening station, and uh, if you're not led to one of those, just take time where you are and let the Lord just search your heart. Just take some time to reflect on what you've heard today. And uh, we're going to give about seven, eight minutes for this. So let's go to prayer. If you're watching online, encourage you just to go to prayer wherever you are. Father, we thank you and praise you now for your Holy Spirit. Oh, Lord, thank you for your precious word. God, let us be word and spirit people. Come, Holy Spirit. Direct this time now that people will encounter you, meet with you. We thank you that the effective, fervent prayer of righteous people accomplishes much. In Jesus' name.